Are we doing this? Really? Wait for it. Are we doing this? Wait for it. How? What the fuck? WTF. And it's also, eh, what the fuck? What's wrong with me? It's time for WTF. What the fuck? With Mark Marin. Okay, let's do this. How are you, what the fuckers? What the fuck, buddies? What the fuck, Nicks? What the fuckables? What the fuck, Lahomans? What the fuck, Ricans? All right, that's enough. I am Mark Marin. This is WTF. It's exciting to be here. It's nice out today. I'm recording this during the day. It's beautiful, and I'm trying to appreciate that. I've wandered around my small piece of property for several minutes just appreciating the day. Have you done that? First off, before I forget, got a correction. I don't usually make corrections because I'm not in that business. There's no need to make corrections unless I do a date wrong, but... For those of you who listened to the last show and listened to my monologue, I spoke about a wooing girl in Oklahoma. That wooing girl existed, but it turns out it was not the same girl that had a audible uh, sort of argument with her boyfriend because of another man in the audience that hit on her while her boyfriend was out doing whatever in the lobby. That was a different situation. She was not the wooer. She, her name's Amanda, and she's a fan, and she wanted me to set that straight. Apparently, the wooing girl was drunk and was basically fucking her boyfriend in the audience and making noises like woos, and they left just before I got on. So I just want to set the record straight on that because Amanda does not want to be hung with the Scarlet W as she walks the streets of Oklahoma City. She does not want to be you know, recognized and shamed as a wooer when she was not the wooer. That said, on the show today, Diablo Cody, in just a few minutes, we'll get into that. Can I get into a couple other things, please? The Oscars are coming up. I'd like to address that for a moment. But I'd also like to address my schedule because I don't think I do it enough. I will be in Vancouver this weekend, uh, Friday, February 23rd. I will be live at the Comedy Mix, February 24th. I will be doing a live WTF with Bob Odenkirk and David Cross and Neil Brennan, John Ennis, and Josie Long. That's who. It should be a good one. You know, I love Bob and Dave. Uh, I've never met Josie, but I like her stuff. I've known John Ennis forever, and Neil Brennan and I have issues that will be discussed along with his amazing achievements in comedy. More schedule, please. Can we do the schedule? Please. It's important for people who live in these places. I will be at the South Beach Comedy Festival in Miami Beach, Florida. Uh, That situation, I will be at the Colony Theater. It's an 8 o'clock show. You can go to to Ticketmaster or South Beach uh, Comedy Festival. Look that up online. Find tickets for that. March 8th through 10th, I'm returning to the Acme Comedy Club in Minneapolis after a 10 or 11 year hiatus. Couldn't be more excited. Go check that out if you're in that area. Get tickets to that. March 8th through 10th. Then March 11th, I'll be at South by Southwest doing a Sunday afternoon podcast live with Jeffrey Tambor. That's March 11th. I have no idea how you get into that. 
All right, that, that's on you. Check it out. You need a pass. Sometimes they let people who are fans in. I don't know. All right, it's a clusterfuck, but I'll be doing that at Esther's Follies. And then on March 15th and 17th, we'll be at the uh, Gilda's Laugh Fest in Grand Rapids. On the 15th, I'll be doing a stand-up show, and on the 17th, I'll be doing a live WTF with uh, Tommy Jonigan, Alan Zweibel, Kevin Nealon, and Drew Hastings, I'm hoping. Maybe Jim Gaffigan. That's enough for now. Can we do that? Can can that be enough for now? Can I close this window? I don't know how to handle all these windows. What else? What else is there? The, the dates are out of the way. Oscars. Let's talk Oscars. I think I'm old school in that uh, apparently my brain only wanted to see five of the Oscar movies. I believe I saw five of them. I don't know why I can't watch The Artist. I don't know why. I have it. It's in my house. I got a screener. Can't put it in the machine. Don't know what's stopping me. Uh, I, I I just don't know why I want to see some movies and why I don't want to see others. I mean, The Artist, it should be fun. It's black and white. It's a silent movie. There's a dog in it. Uh, a lot of people love it. A lot of people think uh, it's pretentious. It's French. I don't know. I'm not judging that. But uh, I just, I have not found it within me to put it into my DVD player. So I can't comment on that movie. Yet I was able to put the help in because I thought I would squirt out a few tears, learn a little something. Not a great movie. Uh, some great acting in it, had some heart to it, maybe, I don't know, uh, a lot of things got away from that movie, but uh, some great acting in it, so that I don't think that's going to be best picture, I'm going to say The Artist isn't because I didn't see it, The Descendants, I enjoyed it, I don't care what anybody says, I like George Clooney, like movie stars, thought he did a great job, love the story, love that the central character of the film was in a coma, I thought that was genius, I thought the backdrop of the history of the Hawaiian Islands and the legacy of the Hawaiian Islands was in the movie as you had this personal tragic story played against this weird historical legacy of colonization. I I just liked it. And I know that's a a testament to the book, which I didn't read. I like Alexander Payne's dark humor sensibility. Uh, Extremely Loud, Incredibly Close is extremely close to me right now because I have a screener that I did not watch yet because Jessica does not want to watch it. She doesn't like upsetting things. But the trailer looks compelling. I don't know. If I were to award it on the trailer, I don't know. I, I, I can't speak to that movie. Hugo did not see. Here it's enjoyable. Midnight in Paris. Loved it. So it's hard for Woody Allen to make movies where he obviously writes himself into the movie and then has someone else play it. There's been very few people that have been able to play the Woody Allen role and not act like Woody Allen. Owen Wilson did that. That's a, a tremendous feat. And I thought that the way he captured uh, that period in Paris... Uh, the expatriate period, the period of uh, jazz and literature and art. I thought it was some of the best shooting I'd seen cinematography-wise. I enjoyed it. I thought Owen Wilson was spectacular. Moneyball. Liked it. Don't like baseball. Not that I don't like it. Just don't follow baseball. Still like the movie. Jonah Hill was great. I'm a big Jonah Hill fan. The Tree of Life. It looks like it would move me, but I wouldn't understand why. Have not seen it. Didn't get a screener. I blame that on the studios. War Horse. Please. Can, no, no. And I actually watched that one because uh, I had a screener and my family wanted to see it when I was visiting them. Actor in a leading role. Gary Oldman, I enjoyed him. Don't know if it's, uh, if it's the, the role, but that doesn't mean that he won't get it. I think he's owed one. Brad Pitt was good in Moneyball. Don't know that he can, uh, can win this. Uh, George Clooney was George Clooney, but, uh, you know, he, he, uh, he had some emotions 
and uh, he he was not uh, as cute as usual. Is that Oscar worthy? Uh, a Clooney not being cute and having emotions? Maybe I don't know. Didn't see the artist Jean de Hardin. Don't know. Damien Bashir, A Better Life, didn't see it, don't know. Maybe Oldman will get it because he's one of those guys where they're going to have to give him one and they usually give the great guys ones for movies that they're not necessarily great and though it was a very controlled performance. Actress in a leading role, Glenn Close, Albert Knobs, didn't see it, but the uh, the few seconds that I've had seen look very, um, looks like she did a good job at being a man. Is that it? She's a man, right? Viola Davis, uh, she was very good in The Help. Probably the best thing in it, her and the other lady. Uh, Rooney Mara. Didn't see Girl with the Dragon Tattoo. Though the eyebrow thing freaked me out. So I don't know. Is that Oscar worthy? The shaving of the eyebrows? Eh, maybe. Meryl Streep, The Iron Lady. Have it right inside. Didn't watch it. Don't know why. But of course, she was great. You can just tell she was great by people saying she was great. It's Meryl Streep. What the, what the fuck can't she do when it comes to acting? I mean, are they going to give her another one? Michelle Williams, My Week with Marilyn, like her, didn't see the movie. Sorry, this is not a very efficient Oscar show. Actor in a supporting role, Kenneth Branagh, did not see that movie. Jonah Hill, liked him, would like to see him win. Nick Nolte, he deserves an Oscar. Didn't see Warrior, but I like. I think Nick Nolte should get an Oscar just out of niceness. Christopher Plummer saw some parts of that movie, uh, plays an elderly uh, gay man. Um, he's, he's a fine actor, maybe. Max von Sydow. Always good. I'm sure he was great and extremely loud, incredible close. I don't know. It's incredibly close to me in my living room. Have not watched it. Actress in a uh, supporting role. Didn't see the artist. Don't, Berenice, don't know. Uh, Jessica Chastain. She was great in The Help. Melissa McCarthy, genius. Genius in Bridesmaids. Albert Nobbs, Janet McTeer. Don't know. Uh, the picture looks like she worked very hard. Um, Octavia Spencer was brilliant in The Help. Loved her. That's, that's going to be a tough one. That's going to be a tough one. There's some good performances in the uh, Best Supporting Actress role. Uh, directing. Mm, the Artist, The Descendants, Hugo, Midnight in Paris, The Tree of Life. I don't know. It's probably going to be The Artist, right? Tree of Life, Terrence Malick being Terrence Malick. I'm sure there's a lot of close-ups, a lot of long shots of nature doing things. I'm not condescending. I think I've taken enough time on the Oscar thing. I'm looking forward to watching them, even with Billy Crystal. I, look, I can't say that. I, I, his friends listen. I've had his friends on. I've met the man. He's he's fine. He'll make it fun. There'll be a dance number. There'll be shtick. Uh, he he he'll engage and do his Billy Crystal thing, and 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 that's that. I mean, what do you what, would you rather it be like last year? I mean, Jesus, what the fuck happened there? And I know a lot of you don't like to watch it. I enjoy watching it for a little while. We'll see what happens. We'll see. Let's just get to Diablo Cody because that was a pleasant conversation. I don't know that I provided any sort of Oscar. I don't know what I did here. Why am I doing this again? Why am I talking to myself out loud? I, I, I write over there. I just set up that picture of, um, of Rodney Dangerfield that somebody uh, gave me. I like that picture. Isn't it like a deep? Lot of negative space is really deep. Ne- where on his face or around no, him? Around him, like <laughs> on his face. I, I would say that the negative space would be a, a good title for that p- uh, photograph. Yeah, I think so too. The guy, um, some guy who shot some pictures of me said he had that and he'd taken a picture of Rodney. Like that's a few years before he died, but I, I was like, oh, let me see it. And I'm like, oh my god, 
That's like the best comedy picture I've seen. Yeah, has anyone done like a portrait of comics coffee table book? Yeah. There, I, I imagine that's happened. There've been a couple. Uh I I think someone just did uh, someone just did one recently. Uh like a sort of UCB centric new cool. generation. I know that they've took some pictures in here. I don't know, do you get do you buy coffee table books? I I want to be the kind of person that does. But does it do you have any like cuz I have them. I have some. Do you I mean do you do you, do you ever look at them? Yeah, I do. Like, I actually just got one. Um, somebody gave me one for Christmas, and it was a vintage menus. Oh, really? Starting from like the 1920s. Yeah. And I, it's, it seems like the kind of thing you wouldn't have any use for, and I, I read it constantly. Like, I constantly flip through it. Like, it's just like from diners or from... It's from everywhere, from diners to like upscale supper clubs, to like prohibition era places. It's cool. Like, I, because like, it's sort, of, sort of like time traveling. Yeah, <laughs> it's kind of like time travel. I because I, I with Vichyssois. Yeah, so it's so the, so it's mostly because sometimes they publish those recipes in the in the New York Times, like nineteen twenty. That's like what it. I like, and especially stuff that wouldn't be appetizing to a modern palate, like Waldorf salad. And it's always a Waldorf salad. Strange things like that. Yeah. Do you watch the food the cooking channel at all, or the Food Network? I watch Anthony Bourdain. Right. Well, that's uh, no, that no longer a cooking show. You don't get involved? No, it's a travel show, I guess. Yeah, no, I like him. I had him on the show. But um, Did he sit in this chair? No, he did not. He, we were at a uh, we were in a hotel room in Brooklyn, a Hasidic-owned hotel in Brooklyn that I had been put up at for some reason. So it was yeah. a, sort of an adventure. I'm sorry. Do you want some points of reference for that chair? Yeah. Um, Richard Lewis. That's cool. Russell Brand. I like Russell. Uh, you know Ben Stiller. That's um, exciting. Who else? Everybody. Uh, you name them. They've they've sat in that chair. Henry Rollins. Does that do anything? I feel like Ben Stiller and Henry Rollins with their muscular glutes. Yeah. Surprised the chair survived. It 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 didn't. I had a, that's actually the second chair. <laughs> <laughs> they broke the chair. <laughs> so you're Diablo Cody, but you're really Brooke. Yeah, yeah. What's your last name? My real name is Brooke. My married name is Mario. Brooke Mario. Yeah. But your original name is Brooke. Busey, like Gary. Like yeah. Gary Busey, no yeah. relation. I'm not, and I'm. It's it's funny. When I was growing up, I was relieved that I wasn't related to him, and now I'm sad about now it. Now you kind of want to, exactly, just so you can be able to say, "Hey, cousin Gary, what's going on?" Well, yeah, and like yeah. I, when I check in at the airport and stuff, mm-hmm. you know, sometimes people say, "Like, I bet I know who your dad is," and oh. it's like, I wish. Yeah, well, <laughs> because there'd just be no end to the entertaining phone calls. It would be super entertaining, and I feel like we both have these kind of we both have kind of wolf eyes. Like, yeah. I, I could be his daughter. Sure. All you got to do is start talking about flying saucers and <laughs> the plate in your head, and you'd be yeah. all set. But I, uh, you know, I thought you like I thought you 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 don't come from Minneapolis. You spent no, time I'm in from. Min- I grew up in the suburbs of Chicago. Which I, suburb? I lived in Lamont, which is kind of southwest by like Joliet. Oh yeah, it's kind of a kind stone of a, throw away from the prison. Yeah, it was right by the prison, and it was mm. by a refinery. It was kind of just like a nowhere town. Really? But you had the prison and the refinery. <laughs> we did. <laughs> so, that we did. So were there just local bars filled with uh, like, you know, prison officers and people? Well, were... I wouldn't go that far, but it was uh it was it, it was an immigrant town and we were sort of weirdly isolated from the other suburbs because there's this there's this canal and this extremely long bridge yeah. that you have to cross and so it's Lamont is just kind of a strange place. Which kind of immigrants? Eastern Polish, European? Yeah. Oh, okay. Do you come from that? Weirdly enough, no, we were the only non Polish family in Lamont. But I mean, I grew up around Polish speakers, and I, I feel like I'm by default one of them. Complicated last names, and uh, <laughs> oh my god, you have a no lot, idea. A lot of pork dishes. I went to school on the corner <laughs> of Machigemba and Sobieski Street. Sobieski Street. Could yeah. you spell Sobieski? S O B I E S K I. Oh my god. 
god. Yeah. I I get so baffled by Eastern European last names. Like there's too many, you know, C H K. See, it's like T's. second nature to me. I can read any. Really? Yeah, because I grew up with them. To me, that makes more sense than Smith. Well, what's your what's your background? I mean, if it's not Polish and you were in that suburb, how? Um, you... my mom is Italian and my dad is like a mutt. A mutt. Yeah. Which kind? English, French. English mutt, like everything that sunburns. Uh huh. You know? what, what what kind of uh, what kind of what what kind of work was he in? My dad worked um, when I was a little kid. We ran a family restaurant, and then it went under. And my dad started to work for the Illinois Tollway, and he did that forever. He just retired last year. Was that a, a heartbreak? I mean, yeah, it was. It was really hard on the family. What kind of restaurant? It was the kind of restaurant that would actually have like hipster cachet now. Really? It was kind of, like, have you ever been to the smoke- comfort food? Like, yeah. Have you ever been to the smokehouse in Burbank? No, I should go. What it is was it? just like that. It's like a like a supper club with live entertainment and like big food and very kitschy. Really? Yeah, but it, it was the kind of thing that wasn't appeal. Like it was, it did very well in the sixties and seventies, but yeah. when the eighties came around. People weren't interested in that kind of thing, so oh, it just so failed. Yeah. It's see if you if you watch the Food Network, you would think like maybe Robert Irvine could have saved your restaurant on Restaurants Impossible. It's that kind of thing. Yeah. He goes to restaurants that are struggling and he turns them around on ten grand and gives them new life. That would have been amazing. Yeah. Well, like, did you grow up like working in the restaurant? Oh, you... it was that kind of childhood. Like it, we were in at the, the restaurant every single oh. day. My brother and I basically grew up at the bar. And there was like the same group of barflies there every day. So the old guys that smelled bad and smoked? It was amazing. Did they have names like Pete and Joe? (laughs) Yeah. They had, their names were like slightly more ethnic, like Walt and, you know, that kind of thing. So you grew up talking to uh, barflies in a way. And and it was all accepted and safe and cool because your dad was there. Exactly. It's a, it was, my dad was just there with his adding machine all day, just kind of tapping away. Tapping away, frustrated, sad. Watching it all dwindle away. Yeah, God. But he had a, there was entertainment there as well. Oh yeah, we had an organist um, named Frank Pellico who had like a like a Italian afro, um, <laughs> and he plays. I think he plays organ for the Chicago Blackhawks now. He's got to be like ninety. And, really, yeah. he's still around. Oh yeah, I mean he's an amazing organist, and occasionally he would have this woman who sang with him, who was kind of like this blousy, uh-huh. broad, and uh-huh. like that was my female role model. I would just watch oh, her and think, a- oh, I want to be that woman. <laughs> That was it. How old were you when you were sitting there at the bar? Like six or seven. Oh, just wanting to be a burlesque performer. I yeah. I mean, it was a that was something that that I looked at and thought, okay, this is the life for me. I feel so bad for Frank now because I just picture this guy who's a great organist going dan 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 dan. Yeah, that's his life now. Yeah. Oh, it's uh, it turned out sad. He's probably doing better though. He's probably making some money. All I remember about Frank is we went to his house once and he had the clapper, and I was like, "All right, he plays the organ. He has an afro. He has the clapper. Did, performs did, with this lady. Like Frank Pellico is the coolest man alive." Yeah, that's hilarious. So you, you, <laughs> he so he had to make it apparent that he had a clapper. So this was this guy, and he's like, "Pretty so, much." Oh, yeah. that's kind of endearing. <laughs> and what's your like? What'd your mom do? My mom was a receptionist at a construction company for years. I like, it's like, I, I, like my grandfather worked in a hardware store and there's something about like people with real jobs. Like, I don't know any anymore. Do Nor you? do I. And it's actually really, it's, <laughs> I find it incredibly depressing and I talk about it all the time and I think it's hampering my ability to write because 
Uh, and this happens to screenwriters all the time where you move to Los Angeles and you completely lose touch with everything and suddenly it's like oh my new screenplay is about this guy who's a writer yeah. and he's dating an actress right. and it's like oh you you have no more stories and they're to both tell. really self-involved yeah and uh, they don't really love each other and they're just trying to pursue right. their careers and then he has an affair with another actress and it's like no one can relate to this but you and but it's so weird like just growing up like you did like in uh, in that situation you know, in that town, like I remember when I'd go to visit my grandfather, I mean, he had a hardware store and there were these old guys that would just hang around and it smelled different. It smelled like real work. There was yeah. grit around, there's <laughs> grease, there's, you know, there are these guys that seem to have stories and histories and all those people are sort of invented now. I mean, here, I mean, yeah. even in like, but for you in the, in the latest movie, it seems that, um, well, I don't know. I mean, are do you go? Do you wander around, you know, gleaning dialogue from teenagers? No, I actually, I there's a scene in the movie where the character Mavis she does that. I put that in there because when I was doing the press junket for Juno, I repeatedly had weirdo journalists ask me if I eavesdropped on teenagers to get the dialogue. Oh, so it's like, of course, you've had that question before. Yeah, and it's like, first of all, weird, no. Secondly, I don't, I feel like the teenagers in Juno don't talk like actual teenagers, so I don't know who I would be eavesdropping on. Uh, so I, I I thought, but what if, what if this character does do that? There was something kind of tragic about that to me. No, no, it was very tragic, and we don't have to talk <laughs> about that movie just yet, because I, I there's still some... Like, there's some backdrop, because I, I don't know, like, I've seen Juno, I've seen some of the terror series, I, de- I definitely just watched Young Adult, and I liked it. Thanks. And I blew some smoke up Patton's ass. Isn't he which great? Is, well, yeah, but I, I go way back with yeah. him, so it's very hard for me to be complimentary, and I and I presented it, <laughs> I presented it as a real breakthrough for me to actually enjoy uh, his work in a, in a sort of selfless way. It's so funny, I said to my husband the other day, I said, do you think... The uh, like I know Patton has this, you know he's he knows all the comedians and I said, do you think they're happy for him or angry? <laughs> well, <laughs> because I mean, I... it's it, this weird thing in the business where you love your friends and yet like it's really easy to become enraged by other people's success. Well, that's because somehow or another, because what we do, maybe not what you do, but certainly you know as somebody in this business, it's it's very hard if you're not where you want to be not to see someone else's success as some sort of attack on you yeah. in some twisted, deep way. It just means that you're not that. Or you feel like that that position has been filled. Yeah, but it's ridiculous because it's been filled by somebody who's not you. So you've yeah. got to, at some point, cross the over into that world where it's like, hey, you know, I'm not, uh, you know, a short... Uh, you know, aggravated nerd guy. You know, that's not my world. Or, you know, it gets worse when you, you find yourself actually envying, you know, other ethnicities, you know, where you're like, <laughs> that was my part. Really? Are you uh, West Indian? I don't think you could add that part. But you took a lot of flack, though, and it seems like you still take a little flack. That's probably true. And I probably deserve it, though. No, I don't, I don't know if that's true. I'm just like, you know, going back in, in, in I think the original wave of flack against Diablo Cody was that, that was your integrity initially questioned when you wrote about stripping? Probably. I mean, there's the, uh, this is a weird thing. I actually have respect for people who can admit that they don't like me because they're phobic about sex work or they're phobic about, a, a, you know, a woman talking about stripping. Well, what about so the- at least there's honesty. Right. I don't like the people that are like, I, I just don't like Diablo Cody. It has nothing to do with the stripping thing. Well, it's what, like, yes, it does. Well, well, what about, <laughs> I know it does. What about strippers who say, well, she didn't, she really didn't, you know, surrender to stripping. Thank or, God. Yeah. <laughs> 
Oh my God. I don't think I'd be sitting here right now if I had. You'd still be doing that and probably yeah. strung out and mm-hmm. with some dude that hurt you. And- no, I actually, I built an incredibly effective wall during that time. Like, I still I still actually can't believe it. So I, I never allowed myself to become affected by it. And to this day, I don't feel that I have any lasting damage. What compelled you towards it was more intellectual than it was necessity, wasn't it? Yeah, I was incredibly curious. And a lot of what this is the thing. It's not just me. Like a lot of women are incredibly curious about stripping Mm -hmm. or they're curious about how it feels to present yourself in that way and to violate that last taboo of you don't sell your sexuality. Uh If you do, you're a bad, damaged person. Or also just to be naked in public. I mean, to me, that's a a big obstacle to cross over. But that's uh, to me. I don't understand why, like, if a guy is naked in public, it's comedy, and if a woman's naked in public, it's tragedy. Well, I mean, well, but it's only tragedy if you frame it that way, because there's plenty of people that go to strip clubs, and there's and porn <laughs> doesn't seem to be hurting in terms of it's, no, uh, you know, people watching it. Not at all. It's it's sort of a double edged. I can't thing. believe there are people who can go to strip clubs and watch porn and then condemn them. Well, that, like I mean, if you're consuming it, you're not allowed to condemn it, and well, you're not allowed to mock the women who participate. Well, perhaps you're feeding it's, it. it, right? But it's also a reflection of their own sad self. Yeah, that's true. <laughs> you know, <laughs> I hate me. Make me feel better. Okay, I'm done. I hate you. Exactly. <laughs> that's it. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. But uh, but what when you were growing up? I mean, what was what was the nature of of the childhood in terms of of sexuality and repression and all I, that other stuff? You know, I was raised Catholic. I, I mean, Catholic real Catholic. Super. Mass every morning. Does Is there any part of you that thinks about hell now? Yeah, all the time. Really? I mean, I don't I don't necessarily think about hell that much. I think about, I definitely think about good and evil forces in a way that I'm not sure non-Catholics do. And what, what's been some of the, the more recent evil ones that have come <laughs> up? I don't know. Well, I mean, here's the thing. One thing I'll never get rid of is being raised to believe that, like, temptation or succumbing to temptation is always wrong right so if i have a if i have a pleasurable impulse and i succumb to it there's always going to be a component of guilt even if it's cake i mean what's the range of these things honestly like i think you're that that is part of being catholic so just the nature of temptation is is troubling yes even if it's something mundane which is a shame and it's it blows my mind that there are kids who are raised to believe that like it's okay to feel good <laughs> right? <laughs> because that was just not my, and the thing is my parents are actually awesome people, super, super kind, super supportive, super parents, but the religion was a little weird. But like to, to what degree did you, you, do you have nuns in your past and all yeah, that? Yeah, I was taught by nuns. And were you hit by nuns? I was not. I think um, we actually had one abusive teacher at my school who was a, a dude who was not a nun. Which... I saw him hit kids, not me. Mm. But you had an active vision of hell. You were afraid of hell. Absolutely. Yeah, I went to I went to confession like every, like the first Wednesday of every month for my entire childhood, and it was you had to confess everything wrong you had done that month or any sinful thought you had had, and you had to be absolved. And we were told that if you did not, your soul was blackening by the day and you were going to go to hell now when you confessed i mean uh, did you make a notebook did you keep a a <laughs> sin diary or did you have to sit there because i can't even imagine what that's why because it's got to smell weird in there it's scary you have to go into you know we went into a dark confessional priest didn't speak english polish um yeah polish father bruno so he absolved you in polish <laughs> how could that not be hilarious I, I mean i still i when i look back on my childhood it just cracks me up you didn't understand how we, we what you had to do. It depended. There was two priests, and if you got the Polish priest, you had no idea what was going on. So is that a thing? Like, God, I hope I don't get the Polish guy. No, everybody wanted the Polish guy because you could confess any sin you wanted, <laughs> he didn't and understand. he wouldn't know what you were saying. 
people were like excited. You didn't want to get the the guy who spoke English was actually really rough. Oh, really? Yeah, he was. He would like give you like twenty hail marys or something, which is interminable for a child. Oh, but did you ever? But did any of this stuff ever? Because I always wondered this about Catholic upbringing. I mean, did it did it actually resonate with you as a person? Did you leave upset and feeling bad, or did you leave like oh, I got to say all these things? I mean, was was there actually? Was the punishment just the repetition, or did it actually affect you on a conscience? No, level? what it does is is train you to be obsessive and compulsive mm. because you have this belief that repeating rituals will somehow make everything better. And sure enough, I developed like full blown OCD that had to be medicated by the time I was eight. Really? Yeah. What were your things? Oh my god! Well, I, I had the classic um, hand washing. Really? Uh, compulsion be- before eight? Oh my god! Yeah. Really. And, um, you know, just counting and checking, and it was just very time-consuming. And you think that's directly from... There is no question about it. That it comes from yes. Hail Mary's repetition of Hail I think <laughs> I really think that if you even... If just the nature of Catholicism is repeating things. Well, I, well, I think that's a, there's a hypnotic effect to all of that. Yeah. And I, and I think that obsession without any past uh, spiritual system is some sort of weird replacement of it, that there's a, an attempt at control, mm-hmm. that, you know, by creating ritual... There's the illusion that you have some control over something. It's weird, though. Like, I actually am, am jealous of, like, I, I know people that were raised born again, which you might argue is, like, even more damaging. But I'm like, oh, at least you were, like, yelling and passionate and, like, <laughs> into oh, something. Right, right. Like, as opposed to just being like, this is this is what we do. Well, well, right, do it. Right. There's a, that, that, it's the same with being a Jew, is that you know, the, the religion itself is ancient and cryptic. And, and, and I don't know if it was in Polish or Latin or what kind of church you went to. But yeah. there's no way to possibly understand all the weird witchcraft that's going on. <laughs> <laughs> in a Catholic church, it's just yeah. it's just like a you know two thousand years of bullshit that is 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 sort of everything is, is is ornamented and 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 ritualized and everything is magic exactly and old super old and Ugh. old and inaccessible like it's just unbelievable how little it's changed over the years yeah and and, and who's going to take the time to like I have you ever been to Europe I have and did you go to Italy. I did. And did you go into those cathedrals? I did. And were you blown away? But like, because my first one, I went into a Catholic, like I'm not a, you know, when you walk into a cathedral, the amount of money and artisanry that went into those things. If you were just a, a peasant and you walked into one of those places, how are you not going to drop to your knees and go, oh my God. No, that, the, my, my home church that I grew up in was an unbelievably elaborate, gorgeous cathedral. So I was in that every day. And that's like a mind fucking in and of itself. I yeah. mean, this is a house of God. Well, this, you know, God must be pretty impressive to hire these architects and make this big a deal of things exactly <laughs> exactly the, was there the smoking orbs and everything when oh you were... yeah the incense they only busted that out on like special days though right. it wasn't a daily thing oh man i can't like it, it just it sort of blows me away that you seem pretty well adjusted <laughs> now with the stripping thing then what do you think any of that was sort of a fuck you um how long you, did you really do it a year Oh, so, so we, we, I mean, let's just be honest. It was an experiment. Oh, absolutely. And you wanted yeah, to. Yeah, I mean, it was one. I've been, I always say I've been alive for 33 years. I stripped for one year. And it's like, that's the year that people want to talk about. In general? Not in general, but, you but know, do, when I know, I'm, when I'm it, speaking formally. But that sort of broke you in a way, right? It was, it was the blogs and the book that came from that. that oh, my that gosh. Sort of, yes, absolutely. If I hadn't done that, I never, I would have just been like another like woman in obscurity talking about feminism. But when you went to, where'd you go to school? Um, I went to uh, college, you mean? Yeah. I went to University of Iowa. That's a good school. It's all right. Well, they got a good uh, literary program, right? They got a good writing program. Yeah, I did a lot of writing there. I met a lot of writers. Yeah. But I didn't, I didn't relate to a lot of the people I met there. 
what was your what, what were you doing in college like who were your music people and who were you know what were you wearing oh you know i was into like liz fair and pj harvey as you can imagine uh-huh. i had really short hair you know it was almost buzzed off uh-huh. and um you know what was i wearing do you have tattoos in college now uh, now yeah. yeah i do yeah yeah but, but not in college I didn't have any money in college. Were you, sort of, were you sort of like, uh, what were you like, sort of, you know, angry, kind of uh, neo-feminist, yeah. empowered? You can imagine, yeah. Like, I, I was so disappointed that I wasn't a lesbian. Yeah. It was like, that was all I wanted in life. Did you give it a try? Uh, you know, who doesn't? <laughs> it didn't work out? But, yeah, it was, it, it, it continued, it's, it's disappointing. Yeah? Yeah. I think that would have been a good life for me. Yeah? Yeah. Well, I, well, that I, it must have been a, an awkward moment where you 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 suddenly kind of you know decide to do it, and then you're like you're kissing a girl, and you're like, eh, I don't know, maybe we should just hang out. Yeah, <laughs> exactly. But okay, so so when did you start noodling around with um, dialogue and stuff? I didn't really. I mean, I wrote. I always wrote. I, I wrote a lot of poetry in college, which I know is like I did too. Eye roll inducing, but like I actually, I think that was some of the best writing I've ever done. I love I love poetry. Yeah. I, I mean, in in and I I I do it sometimes still, you know, because I wanted to be a lesbian too. <laughs> and um, but I think the the control you can get with poetry and whether or not people understand it or not, but if you can communicate like that that obsessive working of a very small amount of words, yes, they, it becomes sort of like an equation. I- and that's still that's still my process. Like that's still something that I enjoy doing. Like just going back and just, uh, just just finessing a scene over and over again and well, reordering words. And that's that's what I like to do. And that's sort of like you know in Juno. You, I mean, you sort of took a little flack for that too. Well, Juno is like honestly that movie is outsider art. Like that was somebody who'd never written a screenplay, who didn't know anything about act structure, about dialogue even about like how to present herself in the industry and i'm talking about myself in the third person that's weird but it happens uh, you've been out here too long you gotta get back (laughs) you gotta get back to the work i know right i gotta get back to the hardware store yeah um and then uh, and that was so that's what resulted i still think that's why the movie got so much attention because it was a different it was a different voice it was an outsider voice well i think that you know to look at it that way is 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 I think that's true, but I also think that because of the cast that was brought together, you know, around the way that you wrote dialogue at that time, I mean, it really is, uh, it's sort of a closed system, and the sort of the balance between the language and the comedy and the events of the story, it make it almost like a piece of outsider art. I I don't know why... Like, I think that whatever pe- issue people had with the dialogue, is it maybe not feeling real or not, I don't I don't know that that was, you know, should have even been looked at like that. I don't know if there would have ever been any kind of backlash against that movie if it hadn't made a zillion dollars. And you won if an Oscar, had, correct? Yeah, I mean, if it had stayed, like, in indie, at an indie level of of visibility, you know, kind of like, the, like, you know, like, there's this movie that came out this year called Submarine, it's great, but it's like... It's kind of stayed underground. Right. If it had stayed at that level, I think people would just talk about Juno lovingly. But well, it's just the fact that it was so successful and so ubiquitous, like that's when people start to get snippy. Yeah, because of that same resentment we were yeah, talking about exactly. with comics. Now, are you happy with that movie? Do you look back on it? Oh, yeah, I you... love Juno. Yeah. Yeah. I, and I mean, I'm, I'm still, I can't believe how lucky I got to be able to work with people who were so game and just... Uh, 
totally what? surrendered to that world. Well, it's, it's just interesting to me that you know, that some of that, like, I like the idea that there's a poetry to the language because there was a time in filmmaking and in, 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 in commercial movies where there was a clip to things. Like, there there was a, a rhythm to all of the dialogue. Yeah. You know, like in the 30s and 40s that there was a pace that people talked at. And that, I mean, that thing has that weird kind of, like, clip. There's definitely a rhythm to the, everything. There is, that, and I, I'm proud of that. Yeah, no, I think it's incredibly unique. And I'm not just blowing smoke up your ass. Thanks. I'm I'm a defender of Juno. Oh well, I appreciate that because there aren't that many. <laughs> yeah, I, I don't. Particularly I, in your in your world of of credible people, there aren't that many defenders of Juno. Well, well, well it's sort of like it, it's like there are some people that I mean, granted, you didn't direct the film, but but well, that's something people always forget. I don't know why people think. I, I swear to God, like. I get blamed for everything from like the soundtrack to like the shoes somebody was wearing. And it's like, um, I, I simply wrote the script. I'm not the author of the movie. Well, I think that some people, I, I think that women, you know, get sort of a, you know, they, they get judged much harder <laughs> uh, for, for whatever reason. Yeah, that's true. And, and certainly like, like, like you were saying before, certainly women w- who sort of built somewhat of their reputation on, on sex or sex work, totally. that it's very easy to dismiss somehow or another. As like, well, she's just a stripper, you know, whatever it is. Do you do you come up against that often? Do you find that to be true? You know, I feel like uh, it's something that I've worked. It's interesting. Like all that kind of went down four years ago, really. It's and not that long ago. No, not young. really, not really. But at the same time, like I've had the last four years to write about so many things, to do so many things that have absolutely nothing to do with stripping. That I feel. Like anyone who's making that argument is going to look stupid. At well, this what point. about the argument that, like, you know, because you're a woman, you're going to get it harder, you're going to get shafted? Oh, more. that's true. I mean, that's definitely true. Women definitely face harsher criticism, and not just from men either. Right. You know, my harshest criticisms come from women for sure. Why do you think that is? Uh, I mean, what do you? What's the dynamic there? I mean, I think you, women see uh, writing about sex or using sex to gain notoriety as being an unfair shortcut. But Juno wasn't about sex. I know. Well, that's what I always try to explain. It wasn't like I wrote some... Neither is this movie. (laughs) Neither is anything I've ever written, in fact, besides my book. Right. So, you know... So fuck them. Well, uh, yeah. It's just like, where's your proof? (laughs) I don't know. (laughs) Well, I want to see the papers. Where are the documentation? (laughs) I keep thinking about this guy. There's this, uh, you know, this actor, Channing Tatum. Mm -hmm. But he's doing this new movie called Magic Mike with Steven Soderbergh. And he's he's a really talented guy, super attractive. Um, but he's a, he was a stripper, mm-hmm. and Steven Soderbergh is making this movie oh, right, about, about right. Channing Tatum's time as a stripper. Right. And I'm sitting patiently waiting for people to shame Channing Tatum for this revelation. It's not happening. Well, I think it's sort of interesting what we touched. And if it was, I'm not saying I wanted to happen to him. I'm saying I find it very curious that nobody has anything negative to say. Well, it's not loaded up. Like, I think it has something to do with what we were talking about before, how, you know, men can consume sex, uh, you know, work and, 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 and sex industry stuff, yet still turn on it. You right. Know, you know, that there, there, I, I know plenty of men that completely surrender and embrace, you know, porn and stripping and it's integrated into their lives and that's the life they live. But that that weird sort of, I, I think, guilt or self-hatred or, or any of that stuff that, you know, kind of churns in a dude you know, around that interaction probably has something to do with it. I can't quite put my finger on it. Yeah. But with a guy stripper, I mean, 
first of all, being a, a stripper as a man is so far out of any, you know, 99.9% <laughs> of any man's experience. That's true. They, they never think to do it. They don't know who would do it. They have no preset idea of the kind of man that would do that. They probably assume he's gay or that, you know, that it's just a, you know, a weird thing that people do, uh, that women do for parties. Yeah. Whereas, you know, you know, stripping and porn on the other side, it's, it's like some weird necessity it is it's, though. You're right. There is definitely there's definitely more weight. Oh yeah. To I mean, it. and it's so integrated in the culture. But what led to United States of Tara? Yeah, it, what's so strange is I actually was hired to write that pilot before Juno had even come out. Um, I was uh, living in Minneapolis at the time. I had written the script for Juno. It was circulating. I think it, it had been sold. It was about to go into production, and. DreamWorks called me, the Steven Spielberg's guys called me and said, you know, Steven has an idea for a pilot. Would you be willing to, be willing to write it? Obviously, I would have written anything mm-hmm. that he had suggested. So it was someone else's idea. You, yeah. just, you were brought oh, yeah. in as a hired but gun it, to write. Totally hired gun, but it was like I was given the opportunity to, you know, create all the characters, create the world. It was just a log line that I had. But, I, you know, of course I'm going to work with Steven Spielberg. Yeah. Well, yeah. Did you get to hang out with him? Yeah. Yeah. How was that? I mean, he's he's fantastic. Yeah, he's one of those people where it's just he's functioning at a different level. Like he's you mean the top, the top exactly. <laughs> but it's just he's every every note the guy gives is completely succinct and brilliant. Mm-hmm. He just has a, a gift. So. Yeah, and I, I I think that he that that gift has been acknowledged. Yeah, over over. I and believe over. it is. I know. I'm not saying Steven Spielberg is underrated. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> that guy really deserves some credit. I know, ah, I know. It's someone, just... someone throws Spielberg a bone. All right, enough of this marginalizing <laughs> of Steven Spielberg. But uh, well, Minneapolis, like I, I've always been sort of fascinated with that place. How long did you live there? I lived there for four years. It's it's kind of like uh, it's it's. Um, there's not a lot of like ugly culture there. There there seems to be working culture and artists. It's it's That's very true. There, there's like a, a I think what is it primarily Lutheran? Like there's a sort of a, a there, there doesn't seem to be that meathead aggravated. Not at all. It's uh, a really it, it, there's definitely like a Scandinavian thing yeah, in it's Minneapolis, a, a German Scandinavian stoicism. And a, a composure, yeah, and, and they, and <laughs> that they, you don't find in like New Jersey or Chicago. And there's also a, a weird bit of social responsibility around nurturing the arts. I mean, yes, like they have a really you know interesting scene for for spoken word, for radio, for uh, for comedy. They paid I, attention to me. Like when I was in Chicago, I couldn't get published, and then it was like as soon as I moved to Minneapolis, suddenly people were interested in what music, I had to say. And there's good music come from there. Yeah, totally. I mean, there's great bands. Like, there's beautiful museums. I think Minneapolis is great. Yeah, and there's all those little um, kind of rodent walkways in between buildings. Yeah, the- uh, that's how I knew when I was watching uh, Young Adult. I'm like, that's Minneapolis because no one else has those. Yeah, you walk through the things. It's well, they exist because it's actually too, too cold to walk outside in the winter. Did you know? Um, did you? Who were your Who were your people in uh, in Minneapolis? Did you know Colleen Cruz? Did you know her? Um, I think she was probably on radio by the time you got there. She used to do some really great spoken I feel like word I knew stuff. Her. Yeah, but I mean, what were you doing there? Were you, did you ever do any performance? You know, I'm not really a performer outside of the the <laughs> the year. Yeah, of the, being naked. The year of performance. Um, no, I I really didn't. I did a lot of writing though. I wrote for the local Alt Weekly, which was kind of like the Village Voice of Minneapolis. Uh huh. Well, I like having not read the, the the writing on on stripping, and I don't mean to keep going back to this because I don't want to hold you to it. I want to no. talk about young adult, but I mean, do you do did you find yourself 
you know, or do you now find yourself in any sort of um, you know condescending position to to the people that are sort of trapped in that profession? No, not at all. I actually I feel a lot of guilt about that. I don't know if that maybe that is a form of condescension, but I I feel like um, you know I was in a privileged position when I did that, mm-hmm. and you know I had a degree and I was safe. And I could have walked away at any time. And there's people that don't have that option. And I, I feel like I wrote, it, it was, to me, I treated the entire thing like a comedy show for my own amusement. And right. when I think back, it was insensitive of me. I feel bad about that. Yeah. Did you ever become friendly with any? Yeah, uh, I did. Honestly, I, I came in there wanting to make friends so badly and people didn't like me. <laughs> and was there a point where you where you had that moment? Like, I, I've certainly had it with drugs. Was there ever... Um, in, in that time, a risk in your mind that you were starting to either, you know, enjoy the power, become addictive to the power of of of, have, of of your sexuality in that position? Absolutely. And there's definitely your boundaries start to erode. So I began to think, oh, what what else could I do? And right. that starts, you know, with what could I, I, take? Would I How, do a movie, like I, that kind of thing. So. How far could I push this? Exactly. Did Be- you ever do any actual sex work around mm, like prostitution, mean, like, no, no. hand jobs, nothing? No. I thought about it though I'm not going to lie because honestly when you're giving lap dances all day you Mm -hmm. start to think to yourself like why would it be a big deal to give somebody a hand job and make another $50 right yeah and then that's just that's because I actually don't see the difference right I just I was never I personally was never able to cross that line but I I it's anybody who's ever been like a stripper or involved in any kind of sex work will tell you there's this weird superiority in the different sects of women like like strippers are like think prostitutes are the grossest thing ever and it's like really like you're right kind of well there's those weird lines like it's pretty close it's it's like a drug addict saying i'm never gonna do needles exactly i'm just gonna snort heroin and smoke it yeah i always just thought that was so hypocritical right so to me somebody who works in a massage parlor i see i don't see how that's different than anything up to anal isn't really being a hooker (laughs) yeah exactly (laughs) all right well now you're married yeah, I'm married. I have a son. How old's your son? He's uh, like 17 months old. How's that going? It's great. Yeah? Yeah. Getting much sleep? Uh, yeah. I mean, it'll never be the same as it was <laughs> pre-child. Uh-huh. And you've been but, married twice? Yeah. I got divorced like, gosh, I guess it was almost like four, it was like four years ago. And then now I'm remarried. Was it ugly? No. Really? It was just one of those like, oh, we're done. No, it's just like, it, I, I, I didn't think it was ugly. I mean, it, it wasn't... Where'd you meet that guy? Contentious. My ex-husband? Yeah. I met him uh, on the internet. Yeah. And we were both on like a Beach Boys enthusiast fan site. Oh, really? Yeah, is that weird? Well, no. <laughs> and he... It's, it seems very sweet. He it's lived, almost too sweet. It is sweet. And he lived in Minneapolis, and so I moved there. That's why I wound up there. To 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 pursue your Beach Boy enthusiast yeah. um, internet romance? Pretty much, Yeah. <laughs> What what's your favorite Beach Boys album? My favorite probably Sunflower. Mm. Uh or I mean everybody loves Pet Sounds. Did you right, did you are you a big Smile fan? Yeah, that's actually how the relationship came about because at the time like there were you couldn't there was no access to the Smile bootlegs mm. and so I was on like a bootleg trading site. So you had the goods? He had the goods. Oh shit. Yeah. So it all revolved around like, you know, okay, I think this could work out if you let me listen to Smile. <laughs> yeah. It was like I'm missing the clarinet track from holidays. Like, <laughs> let's, 
<laughs> wow, we're perfect. Yeah. We're, we're meant for each Honestly, other. Honestly, though, you have such, the clarinet it's track. such a wonderful relationship to have when you're like 23, and it's just oh. optimism and Brian Wilson. It's, it was a have, nice time. Have you been able to meet Brian Wilson? I have. I was. I, I finally did a couple of years ago, mm. and it was it was very exciting. Yeah. Did it? Um, you weren't disappointed in any way. No, not at all. Have you? Because I've met people that you worship, and you're sort of like, oh, maybe it's better if I. Didn't. But that's the thing with Brian Wilson, though, is what he gives. He he expresses himself so purely mm-hmm. that there is no difference. I don't think between public Brian Wilson and real Brian Wilson. Right, he can't hide himself. Exactly. He's so missing that filter. What you see is what you get. Yeah, yeah that that's caused him some trouble, and, and also it is <laughs> yeah. his great gift. Yeah. Do you do you aspire to do that? To be that transparent? To uh, I think I am without wanting to. Like yeah. I think that's been the biggest mistake that I've made as a you know public figure. Really? Is being too candid because when you present yourself honestly all the time and people reject it or mock it that's it's so personal yeah i can't say oh i'm misunderstood because i'm not i'm perfectly understood you've you put it all out there. yeah so are, have there been times where shit's come back at you and you're like oh that's so true and, oh my gosh every day of my life but it, don't you think that's part of that catholic weird yeah. shame thing totally well, like, how do you, well then how do you survive? i never agree with anybody who praises me but if somebody criticizes me i'm like oh that is spot on well have you ever buckled under that and just gotten despondent and cried and gotten <laughs> suicidal doesn't everybody well no i i mean i do yeah but i mean but you seem oh. to be handling yourself very well publicly well i mean i think i think having like i think expressing like despondent suicidal thoughts publicly is probably a mistake so <laughs> depends what you, you do with them stuff behind closed doors <laughs> Yeah, you can, or you can write a movie like Young Adult and channel those feelings of well, sadness well, into a talk, character. Right. Well, let's talk about that transition from like, you know, what were you bringing to that script you know, from your experience with Juno? I mean, was there a list of things like, don't fucking do this, don't, you know, try to stay in this area? Because I I like the movie and, and I'm not, you know, I'm not easy, I'm not that easy an audience. I mean, I am, I'm not, uh, I'm not condescending, I'm not, uh, um, I'm not a snob. Yeah about movies and I'm I'm perfectly prone to being manipulated by movies that aren't good but I thought that there was some there's there was something gritty and something you know incredibly um engaging about the fact that I it was really hard to like her yeah that was important <laughs> to me um and that was kind of ballsy and you know and Patton you know when all, you know all that stuff about his cock I mean that you know <laughs> you know that was sort of a you know the, that, that almost like it was a cherry on top of the sad Sunday that yeah that, his <laughs> cock is mangled yeah that, uh, I mean like boy did I enjoy writing that did did you struggle with that at all D- struggle I hope with I'm not being a spoiler here the right? decision so, to mangle his penis <laughs> yeah no that was there from the beginning like, it was like the characters were in my mind. Okay, Mavis, she's this tall, blonde, icy Minneapolis goddess who's a train wreck and Matt has a mangled penis. And that was it. That's all you had. <laughs> That's all I needed. And then you threw the cane in and some, <laughs> the backstory. Yeah. You just needed a, how do we get to mangled penis? No, I mean, I, I, honestly, I was lucky with this one because it was one of those, you know, as a writer, sometimes, sometimes you struggle with things and sometimes they just seem to come in a mystical way. Were you a cheerleader? Um, no. I was in like elementary school, but that doesn't count. Were you popular in high school? I wasn't unpopular. I was like, I went to high school in the 90s, which was kind of an ideal time to go to be in high school because it was, it, at that time, it was actually cool to be a misfit. Uh-huh. 
Oh, so everything had changed. The 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 social structure, the totally. hierarchy. Like smells like Teen Spirit had come out. Right. You have cheerleaders the in class, anarchy uniforms. Right. Like that's cool. Right. The class system had been destroyed. Totally. <laughs> so like it was a good time to. You be were in me. the redefining rubble of what the high school archetypes were to become. Which actually, I think we're going through that again mm-hmm. with like in a different way, a safer way with like Glee and stuff. Mm-hmm. Where suddenly you know being like the dorky misfit is is really appealing yeah i mean it's our but kids are still you know high school kids are still fucking and stuff right yeah i mean i don't right. think that's ever changed okay <laughs> it's just like you know I, I always wonder when you know musicals invade things whether or not there's as much sordid rock and roll behavior going i think on. they have a lot of sex on that show do they I, I mean there's like gay sex like i think that's why the show gets criticized by parents but oh maybe i should check in yeah with you it. should watch <laughs> So let me add that to the list of things I got to do. <laughs> so, but when you started doing um, writing young adult, I mean, was there things hanging with you about Juno, that public reaction or anything else? No, that you- I mean, I, I, that was, it was important to me to not be motivated by that. I didn't want to say, okay, I'm going to write something completely different than Juno to silence my critics. Right. It was more like that was, honestly, I was tired of writing in that mode and I was just ready to tell a different kind of story. Because it is, it, it's pretty gritty. And I thought that, the, you know, the, like, like entering that movie when I started it, there was, you know, I was carrying this sort of precision, almost the, the, the Wes Anderson like precision of, of Juno, where where everything, all the dialogue had, had sort of a lyrical flow and kind of ran into it. Even another. the way it's shot, it's got kind of like an anamorphic, like. Yeah. And it's true, like young adult, it's hard to believe it's the same director. Because it's, 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 it's almost a precious, almost modern fairy tale world. Yes. Uh, Juno is mm-hmm. and then right away you know with with young adult there you know and I like the way Reitman directs I think he's you know like you know he's good he is and you know he's uh, you know he's definitely you know building a, a vision you know of his own auteurship or whatever you want to call it yeah but there was that you know, right away you're like this is a little dirty I mean, it's a little gritty, you know, it's like cityscapes and, and, and she just looks so fucking beat up. Yeah. <laughs> so when, when you were doing this dialogue, how, how, what, what's your process with it? Do you run it out of your own mouth? Do you read it with your husband? No, I actually, I don't ever run through it with anybody and I don't think I read it aloud either. So I guess it all goes down in my head. So what was the difference in the poet and the poetry of this thing? Cause you definitely had to approach them kind of differently. Like Juno is, you know feels like you just worked the shit out of those words. Yeah. I guess in this case I did too, though. I, like, I did more drafts of this movie than I did of Juno. Yeah? Yeah, which is strange. But in this case, it wasn't trying to find the perfect cadence. It was more like trying to find the truth in the scene. Gosh, that oh. sounds pretentious. No, no. That's, a, that's was, a big shift. Because so, so the first one was about language and this was about emotion. Yes. Yeah, the first one was definitely, it was a more superficial process. And mm-hmm. then in this case, it was less about... You know the shock and awe of the witty banter, and more about okay, like what's these are broken people. Yeah, these are broken people. How are they really going to talk to each other? Well, that's fucking wild. <laughs> yeah. What were some of the evolutions of these characters, and like draft wise? I mean, how many drafts did you do? I think there's got to be at least five. And um, how many were your choice? Well, the last couple I did with Jason, which was you know with him suggesting things we have a good relationship so it wasn't like he was you know ordering me to change things he made one suggestion that's really interesting we're like in a lot of prior drafts mavis mavis's parents are were just like monstrous like really awful people and there was a scene where she goes to see her mom and dad and they were awful and jason said 
I feel like it's kind of a cop out to have her parents be be this unpleasant because then people go, oh, that explains her. That's right. That's that, why she is the way she is. And that's why I wrote it. Like, I, that was my intention. And I'd never thought of it as a cop out. But he was like, I think the parents should actually be like perfectly pleasant, if not slightly. That's brilliant. Withdrawn because, Midwestern. And I thought, oh, you're right. Well, that, because honestly, when I watched it, you know, being that like there's some part of me, I, I, I hate to admit it. There's some part of me that that desires a Hollywood ending. That that there is actually yeah, me too. there's some part of me that I want her to to um, to be forgiven and and I want her to uh, to change. I, I mean, do that, too. I I still and, I feel vaguely dissatisfied when I watch the movie. <laughs> really? And yeah. and I said that I said that to my girlfriend. I said you know I would have liked to have been able to track her dysfunction. But I think that's because we're used to doing that. Like I feel like that's no. I'm, I'm a so form happy. Of that, comfort food. Well, I'm happy that you had a conversation about it. Oh yeah, because I mean, we had so many conversations about the ending too. Well, well, because that that moment, you know, where you do meet her parents, you, you your choice would have been to you know at that juncture in the film to make her become a sympathetic character. Mm-hmm. Where whereas the way the film is now, you have to struggle to let that happen. And and the only time that she does become one is when she finally loses her shit in earnest. And then still part of you thinks like, well, this is going to resolve itself in some sort of change. <laughs> and I don't want to spoil any more than I've already spoiled. But that was a conversation you had. Yeah, I mean, w- the the biggest issue was actually before the director came on board and before Charlize was involved. When the move, when the script was kind of still in the development stage, I felt like, like uh, I have a producing partner I always work with, and I fe- he said, you know, he loved the script, but he said you're not going to get this movie made because with the ending like this, you with, have to with change. the original he, he said, ending with the with the ending that you see, and, and he said you have to change it, and so I considered it. It wasn't. I wish I could say I said no. I am maintaining the integrity of the script. I thought, all right, I'll change it. Honestly, I'm pretty flexible, and. Uh, <laughs> Then Jason Reitman came on and he said, like, no, I want to do this because the ending. I feel the ending is courageous and I'm not going to change it. And that was always the ending. Yeah. So what were some of the other, you know, uh, character adjustments you made through the five drafts that um, were drastic? Uh, you know, I, I have to say there's a scene in the movie where, um, again, not to give anything away, but she does kiss Buddy, who's this guy she's been pursuing. Right. That meant, and yeah. That originally didn't happen. She w- it was really, really clear from beginning to end that she was going to be unsuccessful. Right. And there was a suggestion made along the way, like, there needs to be one moment that creates some tension for the audience where they go, oh, is he actually going to succumb to her wiles? And who 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 did you have that discussion with? I believe I had it with... Um, with uh, this producer Russ Smith that we have, who works for John Malkovich, he brought that up. Yeah, he brought it up. Interesting, and it was a good note, I think, because I like that scene. Well, yeah, because without that scene, you you don't, you know, that scene creates that ambiguity that you know that there is a possibility that that she could take down, you know, she could suck the entire world to her level. Yeah, and create the kind of chaos that she. Exactly, and it, it's a scene that people talk about because it's not clear how fully Buddy is participating because he's really drunk and he just kind of falls into the kiss and it's I I, I feel like it's a provocative scene. So well, because like that scene where she shows up for that the baby naming, <laughs> I mean that I mean that like you don't know, you really I really didn't know what was going to happen. 
Did you worry that she was going to hurt the baby? Because a few people at our screenings have told me that. And I think, wow, she I had no idea people found her that volatile that they worried that she would hurt the baby. No, I didn't. I didn't think she was going to hurt the baby. But I, you know, I, you know, the, the, the big twist in terms of why she was there, it, you know, was very effective. Yeah, and because it it just sort of like just pulled the fucking rug out from everything I that mean, she was building her delusion on, and it to me like the character of Beth, who's the wife of Buddy, Mavis is trying to steal her her right. ex boyfriend Buddy back from this woman Beth, and like Beth, I have to say like she's she's the most wonderful person. She's like this loving mother, good friend, fun. She plays drums in a band, grounded, and like I find her incredibly aggravating. Yeah. Like, I relate to Mavis on that level. Well, do you have that in your life? I When people are just too good like that, I, I'm consumed with jealousy because I think, like, I could never be like that. Is it too good or just too, you know, at peace? Yeah. At peace, like, not easily angered. She's not even, I mean, she actually has sympathy for Mavis. Did so. you grow up with that? Are your parents like that? <laughs> My parents are, I don't know, they're not like that. No? Yeah, they're actually a little bit like the parents in the in. They're actually a little bit like Mavis's parents. Really? You know, where my, you could just drop a bomb at the kitchen table. Like, I'm an alcoholic. And my mom would say, oh, <laughs> you're funny. <laughs> so just kind of keep pushing it down the A little the pike. bit avoidant, yeah. 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 Well, do you have siblings? <laughs> I do. I have an older brother. Oh, yeah? Yeah. What'd he end up doing? He's a, he's like, I mean, I, I love him. He's probably going to listen to this, but he's a, he's kind of the black sheep of the family. Really? Yeah. He, That's I, interesting because you seem to play the black sheep of the family. It's interesting. <laughs> I always say my parents, I can't believe they're so screwed because they actually got two, they actually had two rebellious children. Uh-huh. And it's usually you get one pleaser uh-huh. and like neither. Like, but Really? But yeah. You don't think secretly you are? Uh, I mean, has it come around? And now I think now it has. Mm-hmm. You know, my parents live in Los Angeles now, which is crazy. They moved here after to be close to the kid. Sixty plus years as Chicagoans. Yeah, they moved here to be near my son. Well, they must be thrilled at the weather. They love it. <laughs> I mean, my dad like my dad grew a goatee and he reads the Hollywood Reporter and like he. Oh my God! Yeah, you've, you've sucked them in. He's gone Hollywood. Oh my God! But yeah. were you able, you know, and and I don't, and I don't want to be forward about. It, were you able to sort of set them up? I mean, yeah. Oh, that's, that's what right. I mean. I, that's what I was getting at. But I, I guess I am the pleaser now. <laughs> yeah, because, you're able you know, to. Like... I take care of them now. Really? Yeah. Well, that must feel good. That's the, if anything, like any time that I sit and regret anything I've done in my career, I think, oh, but like now I get to take care of my parents, so it's completely worthwhile. People who worked hard and uh, you know brought yes. you up and and did not necessarily have the lives they wanted. Exactly, hmm. and like it's being able to show them a, a life of like sunshine and possibilities. How old are they? They're in their mid sixties. Ah, so that's like perfect. Yeah. And your dad was just going to be a you know on a government pension if it weren't for you. Yeah. Well, he. I think he would still be working. Like he didn't have any plans to retire, and uh, I was able to convince him. Better be careful. You know, it's, it's, he's probably going to want to open a restaurant. Honestly, like he took over. He they live in this building. Yeah. They they have a condo that I bought them in this building, and they my dad like immediately became like the building manager. Yeah. Because like he has to work. Uh huh. And so he is actually the building. He's manager. like I, I don't know how he managed to like weasel his way into that position, but I. But it's an actual position. It's not like he's the, like the, he's the, or he's like running the board or I, uh, either way he's working at the building, right. and I'm not sure how that happened. It's not the owners going. Yeah, he thinks he works here. He genuinely. <laughs> it might be that. No, I know. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, so, do, so that's great. You have babysitters. That's it's perfect. In fact. <laughs> so, what's the brother do? 
My brother is um, a commodities trader, uh-huh. and he he lives in. That's my, a black sheep. Oh no! Like you don't understand. Okay, make me understand. I, I mean, trust me, this would be a long conversation. Well, we got time. He lives in Miami. Um, he's kind of a. He's honestly one of the strangest people. I've, he is the strangest human being I've ever met in my entire life. Yeah. He's a really, really not neurotypical, interesting person. Mm-hmm. And um, yeah, he lives in. Uh, I don't think he has any furniture right now. Like I think he lives in like a completely unfinished. By choice. Apartment with like an iPad that I bought him. Yeah. Sort of by choice. And a futon or what? But he's got money. (laughs) No. Oh, okay. He doesn't have any money. So he's doing a a sort of poverty Buddha kind of. He's an interesting dude. Mm -hmm. He's, He's super brilliant. I always wonder if there's like a place in the world for him. That he hasn't found yet. Well, I see a place in the world of your next script. <laughs> oh man, I wouldn't even know. I wouldn't even know where to start. Really? Yeah. Is he an adventurer? Has he just had many lives? He's super adventurous. I mean, he's he's got nine lives. Uh, yeah. He is just. I, I don't. I honestly, I don't even know where to start. This is like one of the weirdest topics of conversation. Yeah. Yeah. Do you not want to talk about it? No, I do. It's just we have a super complicated relationship. Like you like each other? Sometimes. Mm. But we've also had like fights the likes of which you've never seen between siblings. Really? Yeah. Huh. Like screaming and yelling and throwing. And violence. And I mean, we we have a really complicated relationship. Is it recently? I mean, not recently because Uh, he's in Miami. But oh, oh, really? (laughs) But like. How, How is your success sitting with him? Oh, you know what? It really, he's incredibly proud. Yeah. You know and what he's he does, able to, which he's drives able me. to be proud? I can he, say, oh, yeah. super. That's that's one thing that I do love about him. He would never begrudge me success, mm-hmm. and mm-hmm. he's very loving. And he, uh, one crazy thing that he does is he, he drinks a lot, and he'll call me from bars drunk and like make me talk to people at the bar because mm. he's so proud of me. Oh, that's a- that's And it's a, embarrassing. Yeah, that's a that's that's sort of a blurred boundary there. Yeah. <laughs> I do know her. Yeah, it's awful. <laughs> it happens a lot. Oh, really? Yeah. So you get those calls, like in the middle of the night type of thing? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> hey, just help me out. Just talk to this dude. I mean, I, I get a lot of like, just help me out emails too. Like, it's just mm. it's crazy. Wow. Could someone make more noise out there? <laughs> Is that Ernie? Is that Ernie? Hey, buddy. Nice to see you. Hi. He's uh he's building my fence. <laughs> this is a lot of, like, I like that. That was a special guest appearance. I like Ernie. that too. Yeah. Okay, well, do you feel vindicated now? Yes. <laughs> yes, I do. <laughs> There's a little bit of like, see? Huh? Well, you know what? Like, you have to, if you were me, wouldn't you need that? Like, I feel like I- I'm not you and I need it. I de- <laughs> there, that's my point. Did you give me some of that? Yeah, I desperately, I desperately needed vindication. <laughs> and I feel like, I, I actually, I don't think I've ever been more excited for a movie to come out because these months have passed and I keep, I kept thinking like, I think this movie's going to come out, and I think it's going to vindicate me somehow, and I think that it did. Now, outside of the uh, the slight discomfort around the um, portrayal or, or whatever, was it the parents? Like, I mean, are there things about the movie where you're like, I, yeah, I wish that uh, that was different? Oh, no. I mean, I, I'm actually, I'm glad that the parents changed. Right. I don't really have those moments with Jason. Like, I, I feel like he... he He's so he always does the material justice and makes it better actually. So yeah. I'm I'm really happy with it. And what's uh, what's the next project? What I mean, what are what are the million things that uh, you've been offered and are are now currently engaging in? I'm actually I'm going to direct a movie in a couple months. Your movie? A movie that I wrote, yes, which I've never done before. So you got a good sense of it? I I don't know. 
Well, how, what, where, what, how'd you learn what you learned? By Did you hang around the sets? Or? Yes, I've, and I've been doing that from the beginning, so I feel like I've been in like a really pricey film school in a way. And what's this, uh, What's the movie? It's kind of a weird story. It's uh-huh. about this, um, this woman, she's like 21, she's young, and she grew up in like a super fundamentalist, super religious community. Like no TV, you know, no secular music, long skirt, you know, just very fundy. Mm-hmm. And she gets in a, a plane crash. Yeah. And is like sort of horribly burned and goes through this grueling recovery. And she basically goes in front of her entire congregation and says that and she's renounced God and that like no benevolent God would allow somebody to suffer that much. And, and they can't really argue with her, I guess. Not, not really. And so she's leaving and she leaves the community and goes to Las Vegas to try and live a sinful life. As she perceives it. How badly burned is she? Her arms are and legs and feet and a little bit of her face. I mean, it's not like a gruesome thing to behold and she's covered for most of the movie, but she's she's hurt. Now, is there like, uh, I, I don't know what kind of theme you're setting up for yourself with this last movie. Is there redemption in this movie? Yes. This is, I think, a really uplifting movie, actually. Okay. It's just, it's about, um, I mean, I don't want to give everything away. Sure. But to me, like the the overall theme of this movie is that people can like transcend their damage and their scars and their pain and like go on to be whole again. Yeah. I'm I'm banking on that. <laughs> I hope so too. Okay. Well, it was great talking to you, Brooke. Thank you so much for having me, Mark. That's it. Lovely conversation, Diablo Cody. Very happy she stopped by. We had a nice time. She's very nice. Very nice lady, that Diablo Cody. Nice lady. Nice woman. All right, what are we doing? We're ending the show. All right, go to justcoffee.coop, or better yet, go to WTFpod.com. Get all your WTF Pod needs met. Uh, kick in a few shekels. Check out the episode guide. Get your app situation on, you know, in control. Post on the comment board. Get on the mailing list, because I do that every week. I mail a thing to you with pictures and things I'm thinking, if you want more of that. Check out the dates on the calendar. Okay, Boomer. All right, look, I'll talk to you Monday.